Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you can get podcasts. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. You know me, I'm a huge football fan, but it can be stressful for us super fans. So Progressive is going to help take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how your team threw the wrong ball on the wrong net, just think about how Home Court Explorer lets you easily compare our direct rates with multiple companies. Well, hope this distraction about Progressive's Home Court Explorer was helpful. It sure helped me from stressing about my team for a bit. Anyway, go sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Matt Lombardo Show, part of the Stacking the Box podcast. Please welcome your host, Matt Lombardo. What's going on, everybody? Welcome on into the Matt Lombardo Show right here inside Fansided Stacking the Box podcast feed. As always, I'm Fansided National NFL Insider Matt Lombardo. Great to have you here. We have a big show on tap. The NFL trade deadline is looming large. Have some insight on some of the biggest moves yet to be made across the league. We'll play buy or sell with some of the biggest storylines as the NFL enters week eight of this season and a whole lot more. But before we get into it, as always, a little bit of housekeeping for you. If you enjoy the podcast, if you've listened before, what are you waiting for? Please go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, YouTube, all of your favorite podcast platforms to the Stacking the Box NFL podcast. I say it every week and I absolutely mean it. It's the best deal out there. You get two great NFL podcasts for the price of none. You get the Matt Lombardo Show every Friday and you get Stacking the Box with Matt Verderam and Mark Carmen every Tuesday. So there's no reason not to subscribe to Stacking the Box if you're a hardcore NFL fan. If you really enjoy the Matt Lombardo show, I would really appreciate it. It would mean a lot if you went into the Stacking the Box podcast feed in Apple Podcasts and you left a five-star review mentioning the Matt Lombardo show. Let me know what you like, what you don't like, a guest you might want to hear on the podcast, and I'll go try to get them. And this week... The trade deadline's right around the corner. So give me the trade that if you were a general manager, you would make. Leave a five-star review with your hypothetical trade, and next week on our big trade deadline extravaganza, we'll read the best mock trades on the podcast. So now that we have that out of the way, the biggest fish and, and possibly the biggest blockbuster trade that has the chance to be made before the NFL trade deadline on November 2nd involves Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson. And I did a lot of legwork on this, asked a lot of people around the league, made phone calls, sent text messages with sources on Thursday. And my sense, even though all of the reporting that came out earlier this week that a deal is close, that there are three teams involved, and there are. The three teams involved in this are the Philadelphia Eagles, the Carolina Panthers, and the Miami Dolphins. They're the three teams, according to my conversations with my sources, that are in the mix and involved in potentially trading for Deshaun Watson. No deal is all that close. No deal is all that imminent. And contrary to what might be being reported and what might be leaked, the asking price is nowhere near what it was back during the NFL draft because I spoke to a high-level executive who has connections with the Houston Texans, and I was told flat out that during the NFL draft, of course, and it's been reported elsewhere, that the Texans turned down two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and a player. And as we now enter the midway point of the NFL season, as the calendar now turns to the back end of the month of October, the Houston Texans aren't getting any offers that are anywhere close to two ones, two twos, and a player. That there's a chance that Deshaun Watson might be had for two number twos. 
Now, there's always the chance that Nick Casario is able to pull a rabbit out of his hat, and that seems to be why you're hearing so many reports this week that a deal might go down. Nothing's going to happen, it doesn't sound like, until the trade deadline. And there's inherent risks on both sides of this, because if you're a team trading for Deshaun Watson, say you're the Dolphins, say you're the Panthers, say you're the Eagles, chances are he's not going to be eligible this year, because you run the risk of the league office handing down some sort of suspension for Deshaun Watson if they don't just go ahead and put him on the commissioner's exempt list, which they probably should have done back during training camp to avoid all of the distractions and all the three-ring circus that moved into town during Texans training camp. But you run the risk that the moment a trade gets made, he's on the commissioner's exempt list for the rest of the season. You also run the risk that next year, Deshaun Watson might not be eligible until week four or week six or week eight, depending on the fallout of the 22 ongoing sexual misconduct allegations and the criminal investigation that's into Deshaun Watson and everything that's happening on the field. Look, if you're a team trading for Deshaun Watson, you're trading for one of the five or six most gifted quarterbacks in the league. But you're also paying for a lot of uncertainty. You're trading for a player who you don't know when he's going to be on the field for you again if he's eligible to be on the field for you again. So this is a trade you'd be making this year for the back half of next season, hoping that in the meantime, you can win enough games in his absence, that your roster is good enough without Deshaun Watson, that he can win six of the last seven, seven of the last eight, and get you into the playoffs when you're peaking at the right time. But from my conversations, it sounds like this might be a deal that's one number one and one number two, or a couple of second round picks, but there aren't likely going to be players involved. It's likely not going to be the blockbuster trade that the Texans could have had back in April and May, especially after everything that's come out since. And the other quarterback and the other domino that's going to fall through all of this, whether it's going to be a move that's made to create the kind of draft capital you need to trade for Deshaun Watson, or it's going to be a quarterback who's available for a quarterback-needy team who doesn't get Deshaun Watson, is Tua Tagovailoa. And the opinions around the league are really split on Tua, because here's a guy who was drafted in the first round in the top 10 last year. Here's a guy that you can make a real case that the Miami Dolphins overdrafted when they took Tua Tagovailoa out of Alabama rather than Justin Herbert out of Oregon, and Herbert looks like he could be an MVP this year, and he's getting better every week. But here's the thing with Tua. There are people inside the league who I talk to and who I trust pretty implicitly that believe he's no more than a high-end backup, that he's a lower third starter in the NFL, but he's a guy that if a guy gets hurt, if your starting quarterback gets hurt, you would trust to go in there to win you a couple of games, but if he's your starting quarterback, he's not going to win you more than eight or nine games a year. That if he plays out of his mind, that he plays well, he's going to win you eight or nine games and be a 500 caliber starting quarterback. That's what people in the league believe Tua is at this stage of his career. And it's kind of hard to argue that. It's kind of hard to argue that. And, you know, you watch the game in London last week and you look at how Brian Flores just completely mismanaged the last five or six minutes of that game, really didn't do Tua any favors. But I feel like it kind of encapsulated the mediocrity that we've seen from Tua throughout his career. That wasn't his fault they lost the game, but he didn't elevate Miami past Jacksonville. And and that's where I think the ceiling is on Tua Tagovailoa's development, what he's going to be in the NFL. You can look back at his college career and you can just kind of see 
that he was throwing the keys by Nick Saban to a souped-up Ferrari. You know, you had Jalen Waddle and Devonta Smith at wide receiver. You had, you know, dominant tight end play. You had dominant offensive line play, one of the best offensive lines in the league. You had Najee Harris. You had a great running game. And all two I had to do was not mess it up, not make enough mistakes to cost you games in the SEC. And he was able to put up numbers and win enough games to be a top pick in the NFL draft. But, you know, you look at Tua, he's a guy that could be a consolation prize. He's a guy that might cost you a second round pick or a couple of second round picks. But it's not like people are trading for Tua thinking he's going to be a franchise quarterback. And if you are, then you might be sorely mistaken. And Cole Thompson of Sports Illustrated reported this week that the Washington football team, oh, by the way, Cole Thompson, the producer of this program, rising star in the industry, go pay attention to at Mr. Cole Thompson on Twitter. But Cole tweeted and reported that the Washington football team is very much in the mix for Tua Tagovailoa. And that would be a really fascinating situation because you drop him into an offense that has Antonio Gibson, that has Terry McLaurin, has some speed, and is in a, a relatively winnable division outside of the Dallas Cowboys. I think the Washington football team, with the right quarterback, is really in a good position there. You have a great head coach in Ron Rivera who's going to have some sort of organizational stability in a franchise that really lacks it. But they'd have the infrastructure in place and the playmakers in place. Not that Miami doesn't right now, but for Tua to be a respectable quarterback in this league. But if you're Washington, are you going to overpay for Tua? If you're Washington, are you going to trade a first-round pick for two when maybe the, pa- the the asking price is two second-round picks? I don't know that I would. I don't know that I would. I think Taylor Heineke has shown you in moments that he can be a starting quarterback in this league. I think two, I think that Taylor Heineke has a future with the Washington football team, whether it's as a starting quarterback that you really need to build around, that you need to get frontline talent at all the skill positions to win with, Or he's a really good number two quarterback. And that's kind of what Tua is, if we're being honest. If we trust the evaluations of people in the league, and they're telling you that Tua Tagovailoa is a second-tier starting quarterback and a front-line backup, I don't know that if I'm Washington that I really make that move, that I overpay. And you look around the league and you look at, you try to think about other trades that might go down, right? We had the big deal last week that saw the Philadelphia Eagles net out a fifth round pick and cornerback Tay Gowan. That was almost the perfect marriage of trying to move on one of your franchise icons to a competitive team, a Super Bowl caliber team, and a team that desperately needed help at a position of need to make a run. And, you know, talking to sources inside the league, the Eagles and Ertz had both been shopping for trades ever since the offseason, ever since that blow up where Howie Roseman and Zach Ertz and his camp couldn't come to terms on a long-term extension. I think both sides started really looking around from my conversations. And then everything came together almost in the blink of an eye last week when Max Williams got hurt. And you look at the Arizona Cardinals, they're the last of the unbeaten teams in the NFL. They might be the most high-powered offense in the NFC West, which might be the most competitive division in the entire league. They absolutely needed Zach Ertz. They needed somebody who could step in, beat zone coverage, 
be a leader with Super Bowl experience on a really young roster with a really young quarterback. And I've talked about this all over the place before. If you have a young quarterback, a rookie quarterback, somebody in the first three or four years of his career, you want a reliable tight end to be that safety valve. Kyler Murray already has all the high-flying weapons in Christian Kirk and DeAndre Hopkins. And in the backfield, he has Chase Edmonds and all of that speed back there. Not to mention he's an MVP caliber player in his own right. But if you can get a reliable safety valve in Zach Ertz, you go and you make that move every day of the week. I think the Cardinals got closer to winning a Super Bowl by acquiring Zach Ertz. But there aren't many teams. The reason I bring this up is that that was the marriage of need with a team looking to sell. And there aren't that many of those situations unfolding across the league right now because I don't think there are going to be many trades going up to the deadline. And you start thinking about tight end needy teams, maybe Tampa Bay, maybe a team like Buffalo with Dawson Knox being hurt. Maybe Evan Ingram is in that conversation for either one of those teams. But you look at teams that are competing, not many of the frontline teams in this league either are dealing with significant injuries at wide receiver or tight end or offensive line or defensive line and don't already have depth. You know, we've really seen this year not only a renaissance when it comes to young quarterbacks that I wrote about in my column this week on fansided.com. Go check it out there. But we're starting to see some of these elite-level championship-caliber teams don't just have, you know, star power on their starting lineups. They're pretty deep across the league. So I don't expect that many trades, and I don't know that I would even expect a Deshaun Watson trade because the combination of the asking price going down, the uncertainty of his off-the-field situation, and the uncertainty that teams are going to have to calculate into their risk about whether or not they even want to try to take the risk to trade for Deshaun Watson for what will wind up being potentially just the second half of next year and beyond, if that. On the other side, want to get into the MVP race, some buying and selling on some of the biggest storylines of the year, and a whole lot more. Keep it locked right here on the Matt Lombardo Show, inside Fansided's Stack in the Box podcast feed. Welcome back in. Hey, how about the Browns, huh? I don't know that they can make a run in the AFC North. I don't know that they can win that division or even make it into the playoffs at this point. But when you watch what the Bengals and Ravens are doing, they're just kind of leaps and bounds above where Cleveland is right now. But you look at that game on Thursday night against the Broncos, Cleveland looks like a team that can make some noise and really play spoiler down the stretch this season in a 17-14 win that felt like it was never really all that close, save for a couple of Broncos drives. The Browns did it without Baker Mayfield on Thursday. They did it with Odell Beckham Jr. getting hurt in the first half. By the way, Odell Beckham Jr. really looks like he's been a shell of himself for the past few years, and maybe never more so than you, than this year. You really hate to see a guy get banged up as often as he's been hurt lately, and it, tough watching him make that catch along the sideline on Thursday and roll up on his shoulder that he had previously injured. But without Baker Mayfield, without Odell Beckham Jr. for most of the game, without Kareem Hunt... Dearness Johnson leads the way for the Cleveland Browns. He came out of nowhere, running behind a really dominant offensive line for 146 yards and a touchdown on Thursday, and just as dominant and just as gutsy a performance as we've seen from any back so far this year, and just a really impressive performance up front by the Cleveland Browns offense. The Browns have really underachieved overall this year. But I think that the offensive line has certainly played up to expectations, and they really did on Thursday night against Denver. And you talk about the Broncos. Think back to where they were in September 
They were 3-0, and maybe one of the more exciting and surprising teams in the entire league. A lot of fun to watch, a really intriguing offense, a defense that uh, was really imposing its will on teams, creating turnovers, all of those things. But I don't know that we've seen a more disappointing team in the month of October. They've really come down to earth, crashing down to earth, if you will. They've now been outscored after Thursday night. 101-66, to and they've lost four straight after starting unbeaten in September. So I don't know what we'll see from these teams down the stretch. I don't think we're going to see the Broncos or the Browns come January. But between the Browns' uncertain future with Baker Mayfield and where they go from here, especially after Case Keenum played as well and as gutty as he did on Thursday night, and now the injuries that are starting to mount a little bit for Baker and whatever the Broncos do at quarterback, Both franchises are going to have some really tough questions at the quarterback position to answer this offseason. Maybe Denver winds up going after Aaron Rodgers. Maybe they somehow pry Russell Wilson away from the Seattle Seahawks. But Teddy Bridgewater kind of is who we thought he was coming into this year. And he's not quite the lights-out quarterback that we saw when they were just running through teams like the Giants and teams like the Jets in the first month of the season. And speaking of being who we thought they were... Who didn't see Kyler Murray and Dak Prescott as the two MVP frontrunners at win bet? I, I mean, I'm kidding, honestly. But, you know, you look at those two quarterbacks, they might be the top two quarterbacks in the league this year, statistically speaking, what they mean to their teams, the, the leaps that they've made from last season to this season, all of it. And they have the best MVP odds. Kyler Murray right now, plus 300 at win bet. Dak Prescott at plus 450. And you know what? I'd feel really comfortable betting on either of those guys right now. You look at Kyler Murray, he's leading the last unbeaten team in the NFL, the Arizona Cardinals. He's really made the leap to being an elite quarterback, both with his arm and with his legs so far this year. He looks what you'd expect to see out of a third-year quarterback in the NFL. And Dak Prescott, he might be one of the three or four best quarterbacks in the league this season, or better than that, really, and certainly just as meaningful as that to the Dallas Cowboys and the success that they're having through the first month and a half, two months of this season. But I wanted to go looking for some value this week. I wanted to go looking through win bet, looking at the odds for MVP and kind of try to find the dark horses, guys that could make a run, guys who, you know, could be a smart investment for people looking to lay an MVP wager. And by the way, Trayvon Diggs isn't even on the board at win bet. That has to change. And look, I know how hard it is for a defensive player to win MVP. It very rarely happens. It's been since Lawrence Taylor did it in 1986, and before that it was Alan Page way back in 1971. But you look at the season that Trayvon Diggs is having, and it's pretty easy to imagine him being the next defensive player to win MVP. He already has seven interceptions. He's already the most impactful defensive player in the league right now. He already basically won a game for his team on Sunday against the New England Patriots, intercepting Mac Jones late. But you look at what he's doing, seven interceptions through six weeks. I think that if he's going to build a legitimate MVP case, if he's going to be a guy that we're talking about late in November, in December, down the stretch as a potential MVP of this league, he's going to have to beat Night Train Lane's record for interceptions in a season. He had 14 way back in 1952, but Diggs is on pace to blow that record out of the water. 
He has seven through the first six weeks. He has 11 more games to go to compile interceptions and keep playing at this high a level. And if you look at his success with the Dallas Cowboys and for the Dallas Cowboys, Dallas has really only had one mode and one way to win games over the last several years. And that was by just outscoring you. It was, if you're playing the Dallas Cowboys, you knew that if you could score 34 points per game, you were going to win. And if you were the Cowboys, if you didn't score at least 28, it wasn't happening that week because the defense was a sieve. You know, the Cowboys had to win games 31 to 28, 34 to 31 because they didn't have the talent, they didn't have the playmakers, and they really didn't have the scheme that Dan Quinn has brought them as defensive coordinator. Just look at the numbers this year. The Cowboys' point differential has gone from minus 4.7 last year to 9.8 this season. And Trevon Diggs is a big part of that. Now, we can talk about the playmakers at all three levels, and certainly Micah Parsons out of Penn State has been a really key factor to that. He might be the defensive rookie of the year, but Randy Gregory has made an impact when he's been healthy. Leighton Van Der Esch has really thrived in a little bit more of a, a, a limited role that he's taken on this year. But Trayvon Diggs has been really the best player on that defense since the season began. He should very well be in the MVP mix. And to me, he's my dark horse pick overall. But if you just want to talk about value in terms of MVP candidates, and we know the quarterbacks win the MVP almost every year. You want to look at who's at the top of the board this year? It's a lot of really familiar names that you know have won it before, that have had their teams in the mix to win it all before. You talk about, uh, you know, Tom Brady is at plus 600. Josh Allen, plus 450. Allen, by the way, might be the best quarterback in this league under 30 years old. He can beat you with his arm. He can beat you with his legs. He might have the strongest arm in the entire NFL. And I asked a couple people about Josh Allen this week, and I spoke to a scout in the AFC South, and he told me what makes it so difficult to beat Josh Allen and beat the Buffalo Bills is the fact that you have to play through the whistle with him and you have to guard every inch of the football field against him because he can take off and run. He can throw it over you. He can check down to somebody who's open underneath because he's bought so much time scrambling around in the pocket. And there are only a handful of quarterbacks in the league who have that ability. Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, certainly another one of those guys. He's plus 900 on the MVP list. And if the Ravens make a run... Look out for Lamar Jackson. He already has one MVP, and he's looked like he's improved by leaps and bounds from the pocket as a passer this year. He was already one of the more dynamic, mobile running quarterbacks that we've seen in the last several decades. He's starting to match that from the pocket. He's starting to match that as a passer. But you want to talk about some surprises, somebody who I think not necessarily came out of nowhere, but who I think has a real opportunity to win the MVP because of the situation he's in and the, the high level that he's played at over the first six or seven weeks of this season, it's Matthew Stafford. And just like Lamar Jackson, Matthew Stafford at win bet is currently plus 900. Stafford's playing the best football of his career, albeit in his first year in, in Sean McVay's system, albeit probably outside of Calvin Johnson and having Kenny Galladay towards the end of his tenure in Detroit, probably the best supporting cast that Matthew Stafford has ever had. And what he's done so far has been nothing short of magnificent for, for the Rams. 1,863 yards, 16 touchdowns, four interceptions. Last Sunday in New York against the Giants, he passed for 251 yards with four touchdowns and one pick. 
McVay called off the dogs in the fourth quarter. That game was never really close. It was 38-11 to at the end of the game. The Rams were up by three, four scores at the start of the fourth quarter, and they took Stafford out of the game. If that game were even competitive and Stafford were in the game longer, there's no reason he couldn't have pushed for 400 yards or five or six touchdowns. That's the kind of performance Matthew Stafford was having. He was just imposing his will. And I know the Giants were undermanned. I know they had injuries all over the place on offense. But shoddy tackling from Adoree Jackson in the secondary. You look at barely generating any pressure from the linebacker position. Nothing off the edge. The only pass rush really coming from Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence. It's no wonder that Matthew Stafford was on pace for a career day. On pace to challenge for his personal single game record of 520 yards before he got pulled from the game. That's a really good Rams team. And he's a really, really good quarterback. So I look at the Rams. They play in the toughest division in football in the NFC West. They already have a signature win under their belt against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. There's a very good chance if they can at least split with the Arizona Cardinals, if the Cardinals somehow falter down the stretch this year the way they did a year ago, if L.A. overtakes Arizona for the NFC West crown and for the number one seed in the NFC and the road to the Super Bowl goes through Los Angeles, that means that Matthew Stafford has been a major part of that. That means that he's been instrumental to the Rams' success as he has been this year. And if that's the case, if you look at the history of quarterbacks winning the MVP and who they play for, the teams that make legitimate Super Bowl runs, Matthew Stafford has a real chance. So look out for Matthew Stafford as a potential MVP. And if you have the chance to lay some money in Trevon Diggs, why not? I know defensive players rarely win it, he might wind up being the exception this year. Trayvon Diggs is probably equally as valuable to the Cowboys' success just because of the improvements they've made on defense as Dak Prescott is. So those would be my two dark horse picks for MVP. On the other side, we'll play a little game of buy or sell with some of the biggest names, the biggest teams, and the biggest storylines of the 2021 NFL season so far. Keep it locked right here on the Matt Lombardo Show, inside fan-sided Stack in the Box podcast feed. Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. Welcome back in. And in the spirit of the NFL trade deadline coming up on November 2nd, I thought we'd play a little bit of a game here in the final segment of today's podcast, and that's buy or sell. Not necessarily buying or selling potential trades, not necessarily buying or selling potential rumors, but rather buying or selling some of the biggest storylines of the NFL season so far and what's to come over the final eight or nine weeks. And we'll start right out of the chute. Buy or sell. The Kansas City Chiefs are still legitimate Super Bowl contenders, and I am buying this. I'm buying low on the Kansas City Chiefs because here's the thing. If they stay healthy, all it takes is for them to get healthy, stay healthy, and get hot at exactly the right time. And I think that they can make a run. Andy Reid teams historically, if you go back to his time in Philadelphia with the Eagles, 
especially when they went to four straight NFC Championship games and a Super Bowl, those Eagles teams led by Andy Reid, it wouldn't be a surprise if they rattled off nine straight wins or went undefeated in the month of November or and or December. For the Chiefs, it's going to come down to what they do in December and January. Now, it's going to take them playing well in the interim because they still face the third toughest strength of schedule the rest of the way. But I don't know that anybody, myself included, would be all that inclined to bet against Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, all of the weapons that they have on offense, even though that defense has been a little bit of a sieve. But I'll say this. I think if you watch that Chiefs game last week against the Washington football team, I know that Washington's defense is certainly overrated compared to what we thought it would be and certainly underperforming preseason expectations. But it really felt like if you watched the second half of that game, that that was the get right moment for Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs had touchdown drives of 68, 45, and 96 yards over that second half of the game. And we'll see what happens from there. There are still some really difficult games ahead. The Chiefs have to play the Cowboys. They have to play the Packers. They have to play several playoff caliber teams. But I think they can still compete for a Super Bowl because nobody in the conference, nobody in the league, has the kind of playoff experience that the Kansas City Chiefs have from going to -to back-to-back Super Bowls and winning one of them. Now, Patrick Mahomes has never won outside of Arrowhead in the month of January. They might have to go on the road to play in the postseason, but I'm certainly not counting them out. I am buying that the Kansas City Chiefs are still Super Bowl contenders. Buy or sell. The Steelers can make the playoffs in the AFC. I am selling this. Sell, sell, sell. Because in this league, we've seen it over the last several years. We see it week to week in the NFL. You can only go as far as your quarterback can take you. And even during Sunday night's comeback win over the Seahawks in Pittsburgh, it really seemed, and it still seems every week, that Ben Roethlisberger's ceiling at this point in his career is really limited. There are still five or six throws per game where you kind of scratch your head and you wonder, what exactly was the front office in Pittsburgh thinking last year. They watched this all happen in real time when the Steelers started off something like 11-0 and then really struggled down the stretch, didn't win a game or won one game after that 11-0 start, and Ben Roethlisberger's arm strength depleted. You saw them really struggle to win through the air, especially in November and December, and then they got boat raced out of their own building by the Cleveland Browns in the playoffs. What were the Steelers thinking? bringing Ben Roethlisberger back, and especially what were they thinking, not trading for a competent backup like a Nick Foles or a Gardner Minshew or any number of veteran quarterbacks who were available going out and and making a move to bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick, somebody that could get the job done if Ben Roethlisberger wasn't effective because he's just not all that effective. Now, he threw a couple of nice balls, and it was an instrumental part of the Steelers' comeback win over the Seahawks, but that was a Seahawks team without Russell Wilson. you got to remember that. And even more so, even more alarming than any concern about Roethlisberger, his arm strength or effectiveness at this stage of his career and this stage of this season— The AFC North is absolutely loaded. The Browns have their issues. They have injuries. And I think that they kind of have failed to live up to expectations in a very similar fashion that the Washington football team has in the NFC. But the Cincinnati Bengals are much better than a lot of people give them credit for. They're ninth in points per play, eighth in scoring differential. They're averaging 6.2 points per game more than their defense surrenders. 
And I look at them, they're probably the second best team in the AFC North right now behind Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. And if you're telling me I can bet between Lamar and the Ravens or Ben Roethlisberger Steelers, Give me Baltimore every day of the week. Lamar Jackson looks like an MVP. Lamar Jackson looks like he's improving every week from the pocket. And he's one of the more difficult quarterbacks in the league to game plan against. So you start looking at the hierarchy of the AFC North, let alone the rest of the AFC, where you still have to think about the Buffalo Bills. You think about the Las Vegas Raiders. You think about the Kansas City Chiefs. The Steelers aren't anywhere close to the hierarchy. I would put them behind the Las Vegas Raiders in the AFC. I don't think that the Steelers make the playoffs this year. Flipping to the NFC side, buy or sell, the Cowboys will host at least one game in the NFC playoffs, and I'm buying this. I, I couldn't be more of a buyer into the trajectory of the Dallas Cowboys right now because like it or not, believe it or not, the Dallas Cowboys are among the best teams in the NFL. They've proven they can win by blowing teams out. They did it against Philadelphia. They did it against the Giants. They did it against a number of teams so far this season. They've proven they can win coming from behind in the fourth quarter and in overtime, which they did last week on the road in New England. And they finally have a defense after the last three or four years of needing to just blow teams out, winning by two, three, four scores or not winning at all. They finally have a defense capable of playing complementary football with that high-flying offense. And forget about a Salvation Army spectacular at halftime. They might be raising an NFC East championship banner at halftime of that Thanksgiving game in Arlington against the Raiders because they're far and away the most complete team in the NFC East. They're far and away the most talented team top to bottom in the NFC East. Dak Prescott is playing some of the best football of his entire career. He's played his way into the top of the MVP conversation, and they have dominant playmakers at all three levels of that defense. Randy Gregory, Micah Parsons, Leighton Van Der Esch is starting to thrive in a limited role. And oh, by the way, Trevon Diggs is playing at an MVP or defensive player of the year caliber level on the back end of that defense. He might win MVP if he goes out and intercepts 14 touchdowns. He's well on his way to doing that. So you look at what's ahead for the Dallas Cowboys in their upcoming schedule. It's not exactly murderer's row. They come out of the bye week. They go to Minnesota on a Monday night where I expect them to be favored by like three or four points. Then you come home for two straight games against Denver and Atlanta. They're probably a touchdown to double-digit favorites in both of those games. And you'll have to see and you'll certainly learn a lot about what the Dallas Cowboys are going into Arrowhead against the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, the Chiefs haven't been able to stop anybody. I don't know that they're going to have any real answers for Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, C.D. Lamb, and Amari Cooper. But that's a tough test for the Cowboys. So certainly, you know, you look at that upcoming stretch. They have a chance of going 3-1 and one before they come home against the Las Vegas Raiders. And if that's the case, if they go 3-1, and one, they're 8-2. and two. If they beat the Chiefs and go 4-0 and oh over that span, they're 9-1. and one, And there's seven games left. Who in the NFC East is beating the Cowboys at that point? Who in the, who's even coming close to that? Who's challenging them for the division by Thanksgiving? There's a real chance they're crowned division champions that night. So I think the Cowboys are no lower than the number three seed in the NFC. I think they get at least one home game. And if they win that, who knows? Buy or sell. A quarterback wins Offensive Rookie of the Year. Sell this. Sell it while you can because look. It was a really gutsy performance by Trevor Lawrence in London last week against the Miami Dolphins. Mac Jones, he's at times this season looked brilliant. He at times in last week's game looked brilliant against the Cowboys. And then he makes a boneheaded throw into zero coverage where you're like, how did that happen? 
What was he doing throwing the ball anywhere near number seven? What was he doing even challenging Trayvon Diggs in the fourth quarter in that spot nursing a lead? So at times, Trevor Lawrence has looked brilliant, and a lot of times he's gone through growing pains. Mac Jones, a lot of times, has looked like a top 20 or so quarterback in the league, and at other times he looks like what he is, a rookie quarterback still trying to very much find his way. And I look at the, the NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year competition. I look at the field. Nobody's catching Jamar Chase, in my opinion. I'm sorry. There, there are talented offensive rookies in this class. Kyle Pitts certainly deserves to be in that conversation. If you want to really go outside the box, which I don't think you're going to, and you want to give it to an offensive tackle, Rashawn Slater has been just instrumental to the Chargers' success, and in a lot of ways tied to the success of Justin Herbert. But if you're just looking at skill position players, I don't think anybody beats Jamar Chase. He's running away with this thing. And and think back to August. This is how silly training camp and preseason conversations are. Think back to August when we were all talking about his three or four drops in practice. We were all debating whether or not Jamar Chase could see an NFL football as clearly as he could see the college football with the white stripe around the two edges All that's kind of thrown out the window. You know what he's done so far? He's caught 27 passes for 553 yards and five touchdowns. Jamar Chase is tied for fourth most touchdowns in the league. He's the fourth leading receiver in the NFL today, and he's a rookie. Forget being the best rookie receiver. Jamar Chase is one of the best receivers, period, in the NFL, and he's only going to get better. He has a great chemistry with Joe Burrow dating back to their time together in LSU, and I don't know that anybody catches him for the Offensive Rookie of the Year. Buy or sell, Tennessee wins a playoff game. I'm buying this because all Tennessee has to do with their brand of football is get in. And if the playoffs started today, thanks to Monday night's thrilling win over the Bills, what a win that is, by the way. You look at the Bills going into that game, everybody's talking about them as potentially the most complete and dominant team in the NFL, and in a lot of ways they probably still are. Josh Allen is an MVP caliber candidate. That defense is playing really well. They're probably the best team in the AFC East by a long shot, probably just as dominant in the AFC East, if not more so than the Cowboys are in the NFC East. But that's a huge signature win for the Tennessee Titans. That might be what gets them into the postseason. And if Tennessee gets in, thanks to Derrick Henry, thanks to their defense starting to make big stops in big situations, thanks to their defense making timely turnovers. I know they're allowing close to 27 points per game, and that's going to have to get a lot better and a lot lower if they're going to be considered legitimate playoff contenders. But if they get in, all you have to do in January is play great defense and run the football effectively, and you're going to have a really good shot to beat anybody. If the season ended today, they're in, and they're playing the Raiders in Nashville. Give, give me Tennessee in that matchup. Even if Buffalo overtakes them, finishes with a better record, wins the AFC East, and jumps ahead of them, you're looking at potentially a Bengals at Titans matchup. And I think Tennessee has a good chance of winning that game as well, even though I do love the Bengals. I love Joe Burrow and everything that they're doing. But here's the thing. Here's what's really bizarre about this. Derrick Henry, even though they've only won three playoff games during his tenure, He's a -a one-of-a-kind talent who can change the output and change the outcome of the game with one or two runs. 
Henry right now is sixth in the league in yards of 20 or more. He has three of those. And as a team, the Titans are third in the NFL in runs for first down. Tennessee's that old school power offense and power football team in an era of spread offenses. And they're a great litmus test. We saw what they did to Baltimore a couple years ago on the road. Can they do it again? Can old school, tough as nails, physical, ground and pound football win in today's era? We just might find out, and I think they have a good chance of beating the teams that they would potentially play in the first round of the playoffs. So I'm buying that the Tennessee Titans win a playoff game. Buy or sell. The New York Giants find a trade partner to finally deal tight end Evan Ingram. I'm selling this for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's going to be really difficult financially for the Giants to find the trade partner for Evan Ingram because he's in the last year of his contract. And unless you're the Buccaneers and you think that Rob Gronkowski is going to be out for the year and you need a tight end and you're willing to trade a fifth-round pick or a sixth-round pick to get Evan Ingram, which, by the way, I think would get it done at this stage because I don't think there's a team and a player in the league where both sides would benefit more from a change of scenery than how much Evan Ingram and the Giants both would if they can pull off a trade this year in the next couple of weeks. But there aren't many teams that need tight ends. Max Williams getting hurt really accelerated things between the Eagles and the Cardinals. That made that deal come together. But I don't know that anybody is going to trade an asset for Evan Ingram, who had eight drops a year ago, has two drops already this year, isn't really an elite tight end, isn't really an elite blocker. But again, if you feel that you're an Evan Ingram away and a tight end away from going to and winning a Super Bowl, maybe you pull it off. I just don't see it. So I'm selling the notion that the Giants would be able to find a trade partner for Evan Ingram and pull off that kind of a deal. That's about all the time we have. Really enjoyed the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. As always, if you like what you hear, please go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store, SoundCloud, Spotify, Spreaker, all of your favorite podcast platforms to the Stacked in the Box NFL podcast. If you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star review. Mention the Matt Lombardo Show. Let me know what you like about it and leave me your trade that you would make if you were an NFL GM. Thanks to our producer, Cole Thompson. Does a fantastic job every single week. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. I'm Matt Lombardo. Enjoy the week, everybody. Enjoy this week's games. We'll talk to you next week. We'll preview the NFL trade deadline and a whole lot more right here on the Matt Lombardo Show inside Fansided Stacking the Box podcast feed. I'm Matt Lombardo. I'll talk to you next week. Progressive presents today's to-do list for your dog. Check front door. Check window. Check other window. Rest chin on ground. Look into distance. Bark for no reason. Check front door, check window, check other window. Your pet has a very busy schedule, so it's up to you to make sure they're protected. That's why Progressive Car Insurance covers your pets for up to $1,000 if they're ever in a car accident with you. Chase shiny ball, lose shiny ball, find shiny ball, eat shiny ball. Get coverage for your pets with anti-auto policy from Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Coverage for cats and dogs included with a purchase of collision coverage and subject to policy terms. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.